Let me just also say as uh, he's leaving to, uh, it's interesting that in Rice Lake, when I came here five years ago, this was a thriving ministry where many of the nursing homes and, and care facilities had many pastors and, and, and people like John coming to share, and that's been cut down to only, it used to be like five, now it's only one. And, and as I've been sitting back watching that, it's, it's not that we have pulled back, it's that the centers and care facilities are like, ah, oh, we don't need that anymore. And that kind of troubles my heart, because they need it, as, as John even shared. So let's just take a moment and pray for that ministry, and, and pray that, and it's, part of my, my understanding would be this, I would love it if, if you heard that you were like, oh, what a great place to minister. Maybe the Lord's stirring in your heart. That would be something you do. Please talk to the pastoral staff or John, and we'd love to get you plugged in. And I would love to be a proponent of saying, and, and going with you, saying, hey, let's, let's get more of this happening at these homes. And one story from one of the pastors uh, about six months ago said, I showed up, and no one showed up. And I left. And I was like, man, if that happens, start singing the hymns or start doing something. People might come out of their rooms. So let's pray for this ministry because it seems to be dwindling, not because of a lack of us wanting to do it, but I think there's part of spiritual warfare happening here where the enemy doesn't want us sharing the love of Jesus to those who can't get to churches anymore. So would you join me in prayer? Father, I thank you for this ministry, and I thank you that all lives have so much value. And so many times in America we focus on the value of lives that people we think are significant. We forget the children. We forget the elderly. We forget the unborn. And Lord, I pray that we would, in this city, in this community, have more open doors to minister to those who are in need. There are many who are sitting in a room right now who cannot get to church. and They have their transistor radio cued into something. And we used to have radio broadcast all the time, but now it just seems to be not the fashion or the fad of the day. But Lord, we pray that you would open doors so we could minister to those people. Bring comfort and truth to them. We thank you for John, for Ray, for Richard, and Tony who go out and do these things. And stir within our church the need and the desire and the, the reality of, oh, we can do this. I can bring my kids and do some ministry. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen? Amen. Well, welcome this Sunday. We are going through the Old Testament. We're taking two years going through the Old Testament. Each book of the Bible looking at Christ in the Old Testament. Many people don't realize that Christ is in the Old Testament. They think that, oh, you got the Old Testament. It's a book of God with lightning bolts and a lot of judgment. And then Jesus comes in the New Testament, and things all change. We've been seeing that even in Genesis chapter 1, Christ was there in creation. And we're excited to do this. And then this summer, we are having this time where we don't have Sunday school because we're a church that reaches all generations. And during the service, you might hear babies crying, or you might hear youth crying. But uh, we're going to do it together, and it's okay if a baby cries it might be a little uncomfortable for you, more for the mom, but it's okay. We'll carry on. And we want to, together, this summer, we're going to be looking at the Ten Commandments and doing this together. And, in fact, what we're doing is take a look at this picture here. 
we're going, what we're going to do is this. We're going to look at the Old Testament situation, look at that cultural understanding of the Old Testament, and then we're going to cross over that bridge, and we're going to understand what it was like in the New Testament. And we'll see how that commandment, out of the ten, each Sunday we'll look at a commandment, how that commandment was restated, or, <clears throat> I have written down, transformed. Jesus takes it to a deeper level. He just doesn't say, don't steal. He, he takes it to a deeper level, to a higher calling for us. And then we'll look at it today. How do we follow that command today? And unfortunately, there are many, even in the church, that say, oh, you don't need to follow the Ten Commandments. But we're going to look at how do we follow that command today, and then we'll end with a story, Timmy and the Ten Commandments. And our summary is, the Ten Commandments help us turn to Jesus as we see our sin and guide us to love God and others. Again, the commandments, as we talked about last week, is a mirror. A mirror to God showing the beauty of His righteousness. He's a holy God, but also a mirror to our hearts. We have failed. We failed in these commandments, and we need Jesus. So let's pray again. I like to pray. Let's pray again, because we need God's guidance right now. And let me just be honest with you before we pray. Craig emailed me a, a while ago. You, you mentioned like a year ago, this is one of the most important top ten sermons. This today would be one of those top ten most important messages a preacher could ever give. And because of that, the enemy doesn't want us to listen. Our hearts are so wandering. We need the Spirit's wisdom and guidance. So let's pray. Father God, I thank You for Your Word. It is so faithful and true. And I thank You for the words that You spoke and with Your hand You inscribed on tablets with Your finger. Even though they're ancient, we need those today. And Holy Spirit, I ask that You do Your work of conviction. You do Your work of comfort. You are right now moving, preparing, doing what you can to glorify Christ. So Lord, I pray for each of us that we would do self-assessment, that we would be willing to surrender today, that all of our kingdoms fall down and we surrender to You. Total allegiance total obedience for without we would have foolish life this we pray in jesus name amen amen so let's begin again what we're going to do is we're going to look at the original background and then we're going to look at the new testament situation how it was talked about and then we'll look at following that commandment today and then we'll deal with timmy and the ten commandments the original background let's turn in your bibles to Exodus chapter 20. The Ten Commandments are given in two locations. Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. It's restated in Deuteronomy chapter 5 because Moses gives two lengthy sermons. That's what Deuteronomy is. Two lengthy sermons about the law. 
Exodus chapter 20. And again, laws were given in a specific context to a specific people in a specific situation. And that context is very important to help us understand the laws as we read them. In fact, as we've talked about last week, we're doing this movies at home. I've created this, well, I wrote it down and Luke created this fancy sheet here. I would encourage you, there's this one called Movies at Home, Pastor Cody's Sermon Series. We've got seven different movies like the Ten Commandments. How many saw the old Charlton Heston Ten Commandments, right? How many have ever seen Fiddler on the Roof? Anybody? All right, more hands for that. I've got a bunch of movies to help you understand. They're, they're, they're not straight from Bible. There's going to be some biblical themes in these stories, but you can help understand their background, how they dress, what they eat, what the family structure is like. I encourage you to get those movies and start watching some of those. The motivation for obedience, the motivation for following these commands are found at the beginning of the Ten Commandments. In fact, when the Ten Commandments are listed, when they're written down, when you see them, often verses 1 and 2 are not a part of it, which is unfortunate. 1 and 2 are the foundation of it. Take a look at it. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Laws were given to a people who were already saved. And here's where people get confused. We think, oh, to be a Christian, you must follow certain laws, do good things, act all nice, and then God will love you and save you. Eh, wrong answer. That's religion. Here we have God in chapter 19 and 20, already in chapter 12 through 14, He saved them. They make this commitment and then the laws come said this last week salvation is not a reward for obeying but salvation is the reason for obeying they want to obey they are called to obey and that's their response in fact we've been going through this every week i have you turn your heads and look at that sign over there take a look at the sign First, God is about, know me. Know that I'm your saving God. And then out of that, they worship Him. And then the last word, then obey. So let's look now at the first commandment, which is in the context of salvation already. They were already rescued. Now let's look at the first one. Verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. Or, as some of our, us older people say, we understand this, thou shalt not have no other gods before me. In this time period, they were called to follow and worship and obey one God. If you go to a university and take a religion course, you will soon find out there are two different types of major religions out there today. There are monotheistic religions and polytheistic religions. Monotheistic, I've got this here, mono means one. Theistic means the belief of God, belief in God. So there are only three major religions in the world today 
that are monotheistic, while all other religions in the world, in the world they are poly, many. They believe in many gods. In fact, one major religion believes in 33 million gods. The three major religions that are monotheistic are Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Monotheistic compared to polytheistic, the belief that there are many gods. In the ancient world at this time, when this was written, when this was given, all around the whole culture was polytheists. Many gods. All the different countries, all the different people groups, all the different ethnicities all around them, they all believed in a variety of gods. In fact, they, they had fancy gods, impressive gods, and goddesses that they say could do good things and help them. The world around the Israelites believed you needed to turn to different gods to help you in different situations. For farming, you had to turn to this god or this goddess, and that god or goddess would help you in your agricultural lifestyle. Harvest, life, they had many different types of gods. Having a god, you know what? That wasn't controversial at all. Having a god, everyone had gods. But having just one god, that was scandalous at the time. That was awkward. Everyone else had many gods, but for God to say you were to only have one god, that was awkward and weird for the people of that time. It's not that there are other gods, and we've talked about this. There's not other gods in the world. There is truly only one God. In fact, 1 Corinthians 8.4 says, there is no God but one. There are no other gods. Other gods that people follow are pseudo-gods, false gods, fake gods. There is only one God. And as we went through Exodus, we saw that the main issue in the Exodus event isn't just deliverance from their slavery. We're in bondage, and God comes to save them from the Egyptian slavery. It's not just freedom alone from their physical bondage. But to know the Savior, that was what God was about. I'm all about doing this salvation so that you would know me and worship me. And worship me alone. Deliverance was not just from Egypt, but something far worse. God was about delivering and saving them from idolatry, from worshiping false gods, from false things. Exodus was not just about physical deliverance, but also spiritual deliverance. God's goal was to get Israel out of Egypt, listen to this, and also get the Egyptian mindset out of Israel. Because Israel lived around this culture for over 400 years. They started adapting their lifestyle, adapting their type of worship, adapting their customs, and God said, no, this is not good. This is syncretism. Syncretism is the blending of different religions. When you put the word sin, S-Y-N, in front of a word, that word is a Greek word that means many. For instance, I've got two types of oil here. This, it's almost empty because my wife loves olive oil. She loves pure olive oil. For Christmas, someone gave me olive oil with peppers in it. That was my favorite. She just likes straight up pure 
olive oil. She doesn't cook with this. Please don't cook with this. But I grabbed this from my garage because my vehicle will need to get the oil changed. Is this just pure oil? It's synthetic. It's got a blend of all these additives to help your engine, to keep it clean. I'm not sure all that's in there. They were surrounded by this culture. Not just pure oil, but it was synthetic. Not just pure culture, Israelite culture. They started adopting, having multiple understandings of religious systems. And the problem was, Israel was adapting their mindsets and putting it into their system of worship. And the major problem was the people of Israel was thinking they could worship God and start worshiping other gods. We saw that shortly after this in Exodus 32. They melted gold and said, these are the gods that led you out of Egypt. God is saying here in the first commandment, Either you worship me alone, or you don't worship me at all. Here's again. You shall have no other gods before me. In a culture surrounded by many gods and goddesses, they were to acknowledge that the Lord as the one and only God. God is a jealous God. He wants all the worship, and He rightly deserves all that worship. And he would not have his children, Israel, worship anyone else. So the first commandment, total devotion to God alone. Total devotion to God alone. Worship him only, exclusively. Love the Lord with all that you are. In fact, Pastor DeYoung says this, God has no interest in being one important person among many. He must be Lord of all. Total devotion to God. And I'll talk more about this as we talk about next Sunday, as we talk about idolatry. So this is the Old Testament background and understanding. Let's look at the New Testament, and I'm going to be calling it transformation. And we'll see this more in some of the commandments where Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he just doesn't state the commandment, he transforms it, brings it to a much deeper level, a higher calling. These Ten Commandments are foundational to the rest of the commandments. In fact, take a look at this chart here. You've seen this chart before. A professor who's a dear friend of our family came up with this chart. You've got the Ten Commandments, which are given in Exodus 20. And then shortly after that, you've got the Book of Covenant which is a big section. And then after that, you've got Leviticus. Leviticus has these codes, this law codes of holiness for the Levites, for worship. This is how you're to worship in the tabernacle. And then you've got the book of Deuteronomy. It keeps expanding and expanding. But one thing, and I, if I had time, I would do this. All of the other 613 commandments, or the 603 commandments, are a reflection of the Ten Commandments. You can literally take every other commandment and find where it fits in with one of the Ten Commandments. They're all connected to that. So really, you've got the Ten Commandments, and those first three boxes 
are an expression, example, explaining how to live that out. In fact, it's interesting, the ten were for all people. And then, from verse, at the middle of chapter 20 and following into Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, the words change. Because we're going to see in the Ten Commandments, you shall not, you shall, thou shalt, as we remember as little kids when I was a kid. Then the words change to when, if, whoever does this, it's very particular, especially just for specific people. This is why Jesus summarized them. So take your Bibles and turn to Matthew 22. We have a Bible in front of you. If you didn't bring your Bible, I encourage you to bring your Bible. In fact, again, I haven't said this for a while. I encourage you to get a notebook. Get a blank diary or notebook and label it Christ in the Old Testament and take notes every Sunday so you have this as a great resource and tool. Matthew 22, starting with verse 36. Jesus often would come face to face with religious people. People who understood the law. They memorized all 613. In fact, they were even adding things to it, which we'll talk about this summer. They're adding it to make it fit to their particular lifestyle. Sometimes good, but sometimes, most of the time, unfortunate for them. So he's with some religious people, Look at verse 35. One of them, an expert of the law, tested him with this question. Matthew 22, verse 36. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? We've got 613 laws. We're going to try to catch Jesus and have him kind of flounder back and forth and see what's going on here with Jesus. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the law, and it says, and all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So take a look at that chart. If you go back to that chart, if you could. Sorry about the PowerPoint there. Notice how Jesus, we've got the, those little boxes. You've got the Ten Commandments, you've got the Book of Covenant, you've got Leviticus, and you've got the Moses Deuteronomy. Jesus then, right here, summarizes it. He boils it all down. Love God, love others. In fact, take a look at the symbols on the stage here we've got. This is symbolic of our statement. The Ten Commandments help us turn to Christ, help us love God, and love others. God expects total devotion. And Jesus expects the same loyalty to all who follow Him. If you got Matthew, turn to chapter 10. Listen to what Jesus says here. Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. Again, Jesus sees this great commandment, the first commandment. He takes it and he begins to flesh it out a little bit. Because people are like, okay, I believe in one God, that's good enough for me. 
James 2.19 says this. Oh, you believe in one God? Well, the demons believe. Listen to Matthew chapter 10, verse 37 and following. Whoever loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves his son and daughter <coughs> excuse me, more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is a troublesome passage. Jesus is not saying that you should hate your children. Jesus is not saying that you should hate your spouse or your parents. What Jesus is saying is that the best love that you have on earth my greatest love I have on earth is my wife, okay? Amber is my precious bride. I love her. I, she's amazing. But my love for God in comparison to my wife should almost look like hatred. There must be no competition. We are to love God supremely. And here's, you've heard me say this before, here's the priorities of my life. Number one is God. Guess what number two is? God. Number three, God. Number four, God. Number five, God. Six, my wife. Why? Because here's what happens. If God's number one and my wife is number two, sometimes those can kind of get too close and maybe change. Jesus is saying he deserves total devotion. Your love for God must be so strong that your love for others would almost look like you hate him. Not that you hate them. Your love for Jesus should be so complete, so intense, that your love for your family should look different in comparison. So the question is, do you love God more than others? Do you love God more than self? Devotion to Jesus must be wholehearted and total devotion. And I underline this in my notes because I want you to hear this clearly. If you cannot make this type of decision, if you cannot have this type of love for Jesus, you cannot be his disciple. Jesus was very firm on this. He says it in Luke multiple ways. In Mark, many different ways, he says it to the disciples. If you can't love me like that, you cannot be my disciple. God cannot be worshipped rightly if He is worshipped alongside another. We are to give Christ the worship He deserves. And this is a reaffirmation of the first commandment. Total devotion to God alone. And Jesus in many ways taught, showed, and expressed this to His disciples. Total devotion to God you don't have total devotion to God, don't follow me. If you want to put your hand to the plow and then get busy doing something else, no. If you want to do something but keep looking back, not gonna, it's not going to happen. Total devotion. Total love for God. And again, what's the context? It's not this, this big being in heaven saying, worship me alone and that's why. I saved you. I rescued you. Total devotion. 
That's how Jesus and the New Testament looks at this commandment. Now let's look at following the commandment today. And I said this, many people that look at the Ten Commandments and go, oh, they're just the Ten Commandments. Write them down. In fact, next week we're going to start talking about memorizing Ten Commandments. I'm amazed that 75 years ago, 50 years ago, most people in church, everyone in church knew the Ten Commandments. Right now I'm not going to put the pressure on you, but how many of you know the Ten Commandments? Well, I could probably squeak out most of them, right? We must follow the command today. But it's not just following the words. We're going to look each week at how Jesus transforms it, goes deeper with it, not just, I believe in one God, that's good enough for me. Well, that doesn't matter. You can believe in your head, but get you nowhere. Following the command today. What does God mean by having no other gods before me? Our primary and foundation ethical obligation is that we give absolute worship to God alone. Absolute worship to God alone. Trust and obedience to God and a love for God alone. So I'm going to ask you a couple questions. Do you have little gods in your life? Do you have little things that sway you from total allegiance to Him? Total importance that we would put little gods before His face. That's what it means. Do not have any other gods before me. Don't place other things before me that you would say are as valuable as Him. Can a hobby be a god? Absolutely. As a pastor, I get the privilege of stepping on toes. I might step on some of your toes today. But I step on my own toes when I do this. What hobbies do I have that compete with my allegiance to God alone? Is it your cabin? It's summertime. We love, how many of you love vacations? I'm putting up two hands, right? I love getting away. One of the problems we have in northern Wisconsin is we sometimes, and we have different ways to justify it, cabin and God are the same thing. What do you place before God? What do you care more about than your relationship with God? Can hobbies be a God? Yes. Can clothing be a God? Yes. Can a family member be a God? Yes. Because we can love them more than God. And that's unfortunate. So here are four questions I help myself as I assess what's the priority in my life. What is my heart into? First question is this. What do I love to talk about? I'd ask my kids, what do I talk about the most? Well, during hunting season, what do I talk about the most? Hunting. During fishing season, what do I talk about the most, right? Maybe fishing. What is it you talk about the most? Is it your security? Is it your retirement? Is it your position? If that's what you talk about the most, that might be number two on your list. where It should be God, number one, number two, number three, number four, number five. What do you talk about the most? Another question I ask, what do I think about the most throughout the day? What do you think about the most throughout the day? What is it that captures your mind and your thoughts? Third question I ask, what do I need to be happy? Ooh, here's one. I need more money. I need more security. I need more possessions. I need more garage sales so I can get more stuff to fill my garage. Now I've got to get another garage to fill the stuff in there. What do I need 
to be happy. As John mentioned, many of the great hymns were written by people who went through hard times. And most of them, they didn't have Prozac, they didn't have psychologists, they didn't have doctors. All they had was the Bible and God. And out of that, they had complete dependence on Him. The last question I sometimes use to help me assess is, what is so important to me that I would do anything to get? Oh, I need to get that item. I need to get that position. Oh, I need to get that kind of thing in my life. I need to win that person over. Or here's another way I do it. I look at my pleasures, what pleases me the most. I look at my passions, what am I most passionate about. Pleasures, passion, positions, and possessions. What position can I get? Can I keep climbing the ladder of success? That's what you live for. You're going to be in trouble. All these possessions, you can't take them with you. The problem is not having things or desires. That's not the problem. I have many desires. I love a medium steak on the grill. I love that. My mouth waters. I have passions about steak and a potato that I could live on that the rest of my life. It's not that those desires and passions are wrong. It's where they are in the place of your heart. What's most important and god is saying i must be number one i can have desires for steak i can have a desire for my wife and enjoy my wife but not more than god god must have his place and he must get and deserves the highest place in our heart and when we treasure anything more than god we have a problem we think other things can satisfy us more than God. And honestly, the greatest thing that could happen is God then comes into your life and begins to remove those things to remind you He should be number one. If something is more pleasing than God, and that is your God. My wife, I love her so much, but she's number six. God's number one. Number two, number three, number four, and number five. Your God is what you seek, love, serve, and worship and allow to control you. If it's self, die to self. Jesus said, die to self and live for Him. Even those are hard words to hear. It's the greatest joy we can have when we die to ourself and live for Him. Favorite verse, Philippians 1.21 says this, For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. The greatest path of true joy and satisfaction is dying to self and living for Him. That's what we are called to do. This is not about getting rid of your sense of worth it's about gaining a true sense of worth when you die to self. Some people think, oh, if I just you know, get rid of my self-worth and all this stuff, I can die to myself. No, 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 no. You get a right understanding of who you are and your position in Christ. We went through that in Ephesians. Galatians 2.20 says this. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, 
but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave His life for me. You want to find yourself? Lose it and live for Christ. We are to follow Jesus in the path of self-denial. The first commandment, no other gods. Worship Him alone. Treasure Christ. Only in Him can we truly understand and follow the first commandment. How do we follow the first commandment? Treasure Christ. How do you follow the first commandment? Keep God alone in His right position. You can have other passions, other desires, but keep them in the right place. When we follow love, we fulfill that commandment. That's what Jesus was talking about. When we love God and love others, we fulfill that commandment. And when we obey the commandments, we do it and we fulfill the law of love. Love God. Love others. Keep Him at the right place. Again, love is at the heart of this commandment. We went through Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God, and you shall love the Lord with all your heart, strength, and soul. All that you have, love Him. Total devotion to God. Nothing else can be greater than Him. At work, do people know that you love God by how you treat them, how you talk in funny situations, how you treat those above you, how you treat those below you? Do they know you love God? I'm not saying you have to get the big cross on your neck and walk around with your big 20-pound Bible sprinkling holy water on them. We don't even have holy water here. Do they know you love God? If not, it's time to reassess. Love God. Don't be like the people in the Old Testament that had syncretism. God and other things. God does not just want to be part of your life. He wants to be Lord of your life. He should not just be Savior. He must also be Lord. So here's what we're going to do. I want you to think about that. I'm going to have Pastor Luke come up. He's going to share Timmy and the Ten Commandments. And what we're going to do is we're going to go through this summer a story of Timmy. And then we're going to have some time to reflect and have communion. Okay, who's ready for Timmy and the Ten Commandments? It's a story that reviews the Ten Commandments, helping us turn to Jesus as we see our sins and guide us to love God and love others. We have to get through two chapters this morning, so bear with me. The first one's really short, but we got to get to know Timmy just a little bit. Okay, so chapter one, Timmy Taborski. This story takes place in a small town of Spice Lake, located in Heron County. This town is a lot like ours, with cold, cold winters where the fresh white snowfalls takes your breath away, both figuratively and literally, as temperatures often plummet below freezing. And during the beautiful summer days, you won't drive past Spice Lake without seeing someone casting their fishing reel 
or walk by the Green Pine River without seeing someone floating downstream in a kayak. Yes, Spice Lake is a lovely town filled with many hardworking families. One of those families is the Taborskis. Kyle Taborski, the father of the Taborski family, is a welder and has been for about 15 years now, while Estelle Taborski, the mother, works part-time at the elementary school as a school librarian. The oldest Taborski child is Jonathan, who just turned 15 years old and finished his freshman year in high school. The youngest Taborski child's name is Rosemarie, a four-year-old with enough spunk for the entire Taborski family. No, the entire town of Spice Lake. And please, make no mistake to simply call her Rose, for she will quickly remind you that her name is Rose Marie, not Rose. And if you really want to tickle her fancy, you better call her Princess Rose Marie. And then there's Timmy, the middle Taborski child. Timmy is very smart, and he's younger than most of the other kids in his grade, as he won't turn eight until late July, but just finished the second grade. And it is this very smart boy that this story is mostly about. Yes, this story will follow Timmy Taborski during the summer of 2019, and all that he does and learns will be shared with you. Chapter 2. Who's on first? As the month of June has started and school has less than a week left before summer break begins, Timmy Taborski has one thing on his mind. Baseball. You see, Timmy has been in T-Paul the past three summers, but this year he is finally old enough to move up to the baseball team, the real baseball team, and he couldn't be more excited. Timmy has been planning and preparing for his grand entrance into the sport of baseball ever since the end of the last T-Ball season. The entry-level team is called the Spice Lake Salamanders, and their team colors is a reddish-orange and black. So for Timmy's birthday and Christmas, he made sure to ask his mom to get him only clothing items with those two colors. From his new winter hat to his brand new socks, he was completely decked out with the salamander colors from head to toe, literally. Not only did Timmy begin to look like a Spice Lake salamander, but he also wanted to act like one. He wouldn't miss a Brewers game on TV, and in the spring, he went to each of the Spice Lake High School's home games so that he could watch and learn. Timmy would even look up YouTube videos when his parents let him and how players would get ready for a game and hear any advice that they might have. On the weekends, Timmy would beg his brother Jonathan to play catch with him so he would work on his throwing accuracy and speed. Being part of the Spice Lake Salamanders is what got Timmy excited to wake up in the morning, and it's what made him go to bed when his parents said, for he had learned that rest was very important for being the best athlete you could be. And every night, he would place his baseball and his glove on the table right by his bed, so it was the last thing he saw when the lights went out and the first thing he saw when the sun peeked through his windows the next morning. You can definitely say that Timmy is devoted to baseball and making sure he would have the best season he could possibly have. He knew he could work hard and he could do great. But one Tuesday after dinner, something happened. It began with family devotions, which the Zaborskis would do every Tuesday night after supper. Life had gotten kind of crazy now that Jonathan had been involved with sports after school and would often stay late for practices and games. But Kyle, Timmy's dad, made it very clear that every Tuesday they would have family devotions. So after Estelle's classic Taco Tuesday meal, Kyle brought out the Bible. 
He had told his family that they would be going through the Ten Commandments this summer as a family. He mentioned that sometimes we forget to check our hearts and ask God if there are ways we need to be corrected in order to turn to Jesus and love God and others better. So he opened the Bible to Exodus, and after reading the intro, he read commandment number one, you shall have no other gods before me. At first, Timmy thought, no big deal, that's an easy one to follow. I know that there's only one God, that's what I've been told my whole life. But as the conversation went on, Timmy began to start thinking. His dad went on to explain that it's not just thinking that God is the only God, but also living it out. How often are we motivated to live and do things for ourselves, others, or things other than God? As Timmy listened, he realized that he had been putting something very obviously before God, baseball. As the Taborski family continued to talk, Timmy began to feel very sad because he loved baseball, and how was he supposed to give up something that he loved so much? Timmy's mom and dad told him that sometimes we do have to give up things completely in order to obey God, but other times we just have to correct the way we think and feel. Loving baseball isn't a bad thing, and working hard to be good at something isn't bad either, but our lives are all about God, and baseball and all that comes with it needs to be about God too. Timmy realized that he was truly devoted to baseball, but he wanted to be devoted to God above all things even baseball. He wanted God to be the reason he woke up. He wanted God to be praised for the body he was able to use as he swung his arm to play catch with his brother. He wanted to get to know God more than getting to know the sport of baseball, which may mean sometimes missing a Brewers game on TV in order to read his new Bible he got for his birthday this past year. It didn't seem like an easy thing to do or that it would be something that would change overnight, but that Tuesday, Timmy asked God for forgiveness for putting baseball first in his heart and asked for help to love him better so that he can totally be devoted to him above all. Thanks, Pastor Luke. <clears throat> does your wallet reflect who your God is? Well, it does. Does your wallet reflect that you are the center of your life? Or that he is the center of your life? Do your shoes reflect who your God is? Well, it does, because it's where you go the most or whatever. It doesn't mean work, because you have to go there. But what do you live for? What about your phone? If I got your phone, would it reflect what you're all about? God must be number one. And he deserves that. At this time, we're going to do communion. So those who are serving communion, come up. The worship team is going to play. And we're going to do two hymns at the end here. First one is going to be, you're going to be hearing Amazing Grace. Again, the commandments, <clears throat> the foundation of it is God's grace. And also, we'll be singing, Be Thou My Vision at the end. God should be the first. The line in there, Thou and Thou only first in my heart. We here at Maranatha have open communion, which means you don't have to be a member of our church, but you have to be a member of God's family. If you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, worship with us. But we also have children with us, and sometimes children are too young to understand or haven't placed Jesus in their lives. We ask that you would pray for your kids, that they would come to know Christ, 
as Savior and Lord.